Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom, and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today, I have the great and distinguished honor to have with me Andrea Bittner, who is a keynote speaker, consultant, and an educator with over 20 years of experience in Philadelphia where she teaches K-12 English learners. Um, she's also the author of Take Me Home, a book about 11 former students who gave first-hand account of what it's really like to become bilingual in America. Also a fellow podcaster with Teach Better. Welcome, Andrea. Let me ask you, who are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here with you today. And um, yes, I am a teacher, I am an author, I am a speaker based out of Philadelphia, PA. I currently teach and work with English language learners in grades K to 12 from all different places in the world um, and all different experiences. I'm a mom um, of two beautiful teenage daughters um, and I'm also a wife. So busy, just like everybody else out there. Beautiful, thank you so much for sharing with us. So can you walk us through your professional trajectory up to this point? Yes, absolutely. So I started teaching um, coming into my 24th year, uh, this coming year, and I didn't start out as an English language learner teacher. I started out as a high school English teacher. And when I was quickly hired out of college over the weekend with an opportunity to work with freshmen at the high school level, the first thing I learned about them was that they hated school. And that was really eye-opening for me because obviously going into education, being a student that was always ambitious, you know, I love school. I love being in school. I love, you know, being a student. I love being a teacher, et cetera. And what I quickly learned about the reason behind why they hated school was because they were freshmen in high school who didn't know how to read. And it really bothered me enough that I didn't have those tools in my toolbox. I had never learned preparing to be a high school teacher how to teach kids to read. And so I went back to school on myself and I took two years to do a master's in reading and I became a reading specialist. And then I moved down to the middle school level where I started to work with students in grades six through eight. And I was a reading specialist in Title I and I was working with them in small groups, teaching them how to read whether it was decoding issues, comprehension issues, vocabulary expansion, et cetera. While I was working with those kids, I started to have English language learners come into my class groups. And I, again, had that pit feeling in my stomach, like I don't always feel prepared to work with ELs. How can I do that better? In addition to that, I had this awesome grade level um, partner across the hall, Mike Kinka, who was the EL teacher in the building. So I found myself talking to him, reaching out to other teachers, and I decided to go back to school again. And I spent a few years becoming an English language learner teacher. So really, 17 of the coming up on 24 years I've spent in the classroom have been as a support teacher. Um, so I've been working with L's ever since um, in grades K through 12, and I absolutely love it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that journey. Uh, when, as you talk, it makes me think on the beauty of our profession. It's a profession that we never stop learning and wanting to go back to learn more things and become better. So tell us, like, how come 
Andrea, one day as a young person, perhaps decided, I'm going to become an educator. Do you remember that moment when you decided? I do. You know, I had a few teachers throughout my educational career as a student who started to encourage me to go into teaching. Um, one of my very first teachers, Val Schulman, who was my high school junior English teacher, and uh, Dr. Beth Wright, her kind of her go-to grade level partner, I had a creative writing class with. And they started to say things to me in high school like, you're a really good writer. You should start to think about that. Or you're like, seem like you really love working with kids. You know, we had like, uh, I had an after school job at a daycare and I used to go there and help. And I used to come back to school and tell them about it. And um, I also had another teacher, Jim Donnelly, who was this high energy. He's getting ready to retire, I think in the next few years now, but I had it when it was like his first year of teaching. And he was such a high energy, passionate teacher between the three of them. I started to think, wow, like, I think I might want to do that too. Um, and so their encouragement really? was really what propelled me to want to become a teacher. That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. Definitely a testament uh, to people who make a difference in us. And I'm sure that every day you go to work to try to make the difference. So as an educator, uh, the way I got to know about you is that uh, you're like this Big shot speaker, consultant, you're an author. So there's this, you're a multifaceted uh, person. Uh, tell us about all those uh, things that you do in addition to your labor of love in schools. Sure. So uh, I decided probably about a few years ago that there was a story I wanted to share. And I guess I could best tell that story by backing up to how it all started. So about 10 years ago, I worked with about 40 different students at the high school level, and they came from all walks of life. I had students who had crossed the border. I had students who were adopted. I had exchange students. I had kids that um, had waited 10 years for a visa and came after their parents. I had kids that waited 10 years for a visa and came before their parents. And I had students who were born here. So we had this vast, diverse population, which we still do, um, where I teach in Philadelphia. And we had this classroom banner that I created in our room, and it said, education is freedom, education is opportunity, what's your plan? Because as high school students coming in at various levels, our time clock was ticking, and they knew that their only plan couldn't be, I'm going to return to my country right now, or I'm going to return to the state I just came from, or I'm going to return two blocks over to the district that I moved from. And their only plan couldn't be, I'm not going to be successful here. Because I would tell them, your parents have worked too hard to give you this gift of the opportunity, along with your teachers, of becoming bilingual. And this is your opportunity for a free education. And we're going to take this time to figure out your next step plan and work through it. And so as we went through this mantra with these students, we had this really popular day called Alumni T-Shirt Day. And Every year, our alumni who were young bilingual professionals now out working in the world would come back to congratulate our current seniors and they would bring them a T-shirt and that T-shirt on it would state wherever they were headed next. We didn't care if it was university, local college, trade school, working world, wherever it was they were headed, we were there to celebrate it and let them sign this banner to say that they had now completed this chapter of their life's plan. And so at the time, I worked with one particular family, the Lopez family, and I had taught all seven of their children. 
and they had all boys and one girl and they happen to be country uh, from the country of salvador and i've traveled to salvador myself three times to do some work with schools down there so i knew this family well i knew them all the way from sergio all the way down to nancy which was the only female in the family and so I, these kids were amazing. This family was wonderful. They went through this mantra and this thinking and this program, and they all graduated. And about a year after that, how the last one had graduated, I was teaching outside, and I saw a bunch of helicopters one day. And I looked outside, and I was like, "Wow, I hope everything's all right. There's a lot of helicopters outside today." And about an hour after that, my principal came down to get me to let me know that one of my students had been hit by the train, and unfortunately, that student was Nancy. She passed away that day because she had a pair of headphones on. And when we watched the video later, we could see that she had made a decision to walk along the inside of the train track. And she didn't hear at the Acela. So the Acela came and it clipped her from behind. And unfortunately, as that trauma happened in the school community and the kids and the teachers and the families, et cetera, were working through it. One of the most challenging parts of that day is that mom and dad were still learning English themselves. And so when they got the call that something had happened, no one on the local force spoke Spanish. And so they could kind of put together that something was wrong and they could kind of put together that something had happened to one of the kids, but they didn't know which one it was. And so they went up to the tracks for hours until they could get to all of the supports that they needed in the school, which was all of us to go up there and figure out which one of their children, as they called them, had passed away. And so in those coming weeks, we had a lot of responsibilities. We worked with the family to navigate the funeral process. We worked with the local funeral parlor to get everything done for them for free. We worked with immigration to try to get her brother to be able to come up and bury his sister, which he was denied. We worked with the Latino mm -hmm. community who came and sat with dad, who's a pastor, every night as we went through this process. And so as we went through that, one of my jobs was to speak at her funeral. And so at the time, I wrote this short poem and I called it Take Me Home. And it was an homage to Nancy's life experience in crossing into the US. And I read that poem that day and then I went on to teach these awesome kids. And a few months later, I saw it sitting out on my desk and I thought maybe something about this story could be helpful to people. And so I sent this piece of paper out on a whim to a bunch of publishers. And a few months later, someone gets back to me and says, hey, Andrea, we really like your poem, but we don't want you to write a poem. We want you to write a book. And we're going to give you six months to do it. And if you come back with something that we like, we'll take you on and publish it. And I started to think to myself, well, I don't just want to tell her story. I want to tell all their stories because they're so different. And a lot of our kids would come into the classroom very concerned about the assumptions that were being made about them, not only in the school world, but anywhere in the outside world of our four walls. And they would say things to me like, Miss B, like, I'm from Africa. Why does everybody keep asking me if I live with lions? I didn't live with lions. I went to a private boarding school in the city. Or other kids would come in and go, why does everybody think I'm from Mexico? I'm not from Mexico. I'm from Ecuador. I don't even know any kids that are from Mexico. Or other kids would come in and say, why does everybody keep asking me religious questions? Because I'm from Yemen. And so all of these experiences got me thinking that I'd love to create an opportunity to give their perspective. And so what I did was I went back and found 11 of my former English learners who are now in their late 20s, early 30s. 
and I asked them questions for about six months that I thought we had missed. And I said, now that we are watching you as a young bilingual professional in the world, and you can reflect and communicate on your school experiences, what was it really like for you? And so from those conversations, we hit almost every continent. We hit almost every experience we could think of. And we also talked to Nancy's parents to give her perspective on what it was like for her. And we created Take Me Home. Every chapter is dedicated to one of them and told through their eyes. And we changed their names to names of strength, like fuel and grit and surge, et cetera. And so it's a true story. We weave Nancy's story through it of 11 of my former students who tell what it's like to become bilingual in America. Um, we're really proud of it. We're proud of the work it's doing. It, we are proud of the conversations it's creating, the questions, the reflections, and the connections, not only from teachers around the world, but from students who are English learners themselves and families. What a beautiful story about a book. Uh, that genesis about how this came to fruition too, of of writing a poem and someone seeing something that maybe you didn't see at the beginning and it became all this tree of knowledge uh is i'm wondering did is did anything surprise you in your conversation with your students that you had no idea was going on yes i think that one of their biggest messages was to help people remember that lack of language never equals lack of intelligence. And Amen. that is something that they really hit the nail on the head with. It didn't matter what conversation I had with them, some of their life experiences, whether it was for themselves or watching their families experience it, was something they wanted people to know. And the second part was when you meet a person who's learning English for the first time, treat that time in their life like an asset and not a handicap because they have a gift and they need to be given the correct amount of time to use it and learn it. And the last piece I think that was really important was just to remember that EL doesn't mean a one size fits all approach and that they come in with a vast amount of experiences that people have to take the time to get to learn. Beautiful. I, I love that. Andrea, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, let me ask you, um, like in Back to the Future, if Andrea could go back in time to any point in your life, what would the Andrea of today tell the Andrea of back then? I think the first thing I would remind myself of is to just to fail forward. You know, I love that acronym of fail, first attempt in learning. And it's okay, you are going to fail. And just embrace it and be ready for it. And the difference between successful and unsuccessful people, in my experience, is that successful people get back up. And successful people understand that it is the, they call my friendship, Baker says the blessings are in the lessons. And I couldn't agree with that more because it really is a blessing in every lesson that you learn. It matters what you do with it. And I would tell her, get ready to fail. Um, the second thing that I would tell her is to surround yourself with people who are better than you. And that's personally and professionally as mentors, but not just to surround yourself with them, but to actually do what they say, because that's the hard part is, is the action, right? The action behind the learning, the learning. So there are two things I would tell her. 
Beautiful, absolutely. Now that you say mentors, uh, let me jump to that questions. Um, who are those uh, mentor figures, those people uh, that have made that impact in your life uh, and that you are grateful for? I think personally, some of my, my biggest mentors, even though they're younger than me, are my two brothers. Um, my two brothers are John and Nick. We are very close in age. We're less than two years apart for each of us. And I've always really, even though I'm their big sister, I've looked up to them um, because of how resourceful they are, how big picture thinkers they are. They're risk takers. Um, they've learned to embrace the idea that as you go through life, not every part is going to be sunshine and rainbows. And they really taught me about how to get back up, you know, how, how to understand how to do that. I think professionally, you know, I, I've talked earlier about the teachers I had, you know, I think that that would be a piece of it. But I think also in addition to those teachers, just the teachers that I get to work with now, you know, I, I don't have to go to school every day. I get to go to school and I get to learn from people who are even better, you know, than I could even have imagined. But the teachers of the Interborough School District, our job is very, as a support teacher, special because I get to work with multiple grade levels, multiple groups, multiple buildings, and multiple levels of students. So really getting to work with those teachers and learn from them has been great. Um, I also think in terms of personal development, I admire and learn all the time from the John Gordon team, from Mel Robbins, from Ed Milet. Um, Those are people that I listen to and learn from daily. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Let's talk about uh, books. Um, if you had to give someone meaningful in your life one fiction book and one nonfiction book, which books would those be? It's kind of funny because I was thinking about this and one book that really resonated with me and still does today is an old Judy Bloom book. Um, and it's called Just As Long As We're Together. And it was a book about friendship that I read, I want to say in middle or high school years ago, but it really taught me about the power of forgiveness and the power of surrounding yourself again with, you know, people that push you up. Um, and that was a powerful story that I, I always remembered. Beautiful. So that's the fiction, right? For fiction. For nonfiction, um, there's one book that was a game changer for me in education, and that was Dr. Ruby Payne understanding, I want to get this right. Uh, yeah. I have it over here. It's right over here. Let me look. Uh, understanding poverty, understanding the framework of poverty. And it talked a lot about what she calls the hidden rules that kids come from different socioeconomic statuses, and they don't always understand the quote unquote hidden rules of school. And I actually reached out to her on social media after I had read that and let her know that that was so helpful to me as an educator to understand the invisible things I needed to start to make visible for the at-risk students that I'm working with. Wow, that 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 can you give us one example? Um, uh, sure. Because I also worked in Title One schools, and we all talk about kids living in trauma, kids living in poverty, but there's no specific. Um, professional development often available on understanding poverty? Yes. So students that come from, let's say, a um, economic status that would be considered poverty may understand much better than someone who has not lived that daily life 
how to navigate systems that I would never know how to navigate. For example, uh, welfare, medical offices, um, trying to get support from outside services like social workers, um, food stamps, right? Things that I may really struggle with if I've never had those experiences and the court system, how to navigate that. And I see that play out daily. I have students who have been very intertwined with all of those systems and they could speak about it to anybody that would want to listen for days. But if I had, was someone who had never been in those situations, I wouldn't know how to navigate any of that. But if you took those same students and you placed them in, let's say, what's considered a higher socioeconomic status, like a college conversation or a conversation with someone um, who wants to offer them a job in a corporate view, they would really struggle with how to navigate that because that's not what they know, if that makes sense. Um, another hidden yeah, like a hidden rule in school, for example, in some socioeconomic statuses, verbalization um, is extremely valued. So always talking, defending yourself, you know, having conversations in an entertaining way, being loud, things like that. But that's not always acceptable in every classroom throughout the building. And so what I would say to the kids is you already know which classes your voice is allowed to be heard more often in, you know, teacher A then maybe teacher B prefers that a different style, right? And so you have to know that about that teacher before you ever walk into their classroom because that's their hidden rule. They're not going to say that to you all the time, but that's their style, if that makes sense. And so yes. that's just a quick example, but there are so many more in that book that really just amplify the idea of these rules. Wow, uh, thank you. You know, um, this is the beauty, I believe, of... of uh... Uh, my show that I get to learn from people uh, and I have been looking and I didn't know how to verbalize it and how to uh, support my teachers in schools to better able to understand students who are struggling. And, you know, that's going to be my my next thread, understanding poverty. Thank you so much, Andrea. I appreciate it. Uh, before uh, we continue, let's celebrate the Teach Better community. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So Andrea, talking about Teach Better, uh, suddenly uh, Andrea came up. Uh, in the circle um, uh, interim teach better thing. And I'm so glad that you uh, have joined us as a podcaster. Can you tell us about uh, that Genesis story too? Yes. So when I uh, wrote this book, Take Me Home, um, I it was released into the world until July of 2021. And as people started to read it, this organic thing happened where schools started to call me and say, hey, Andrea, we really love your story. Would you come talk to our teachers? And I was like, well, sure. You know, and so I started to get the opportunity not only to teach daily, but also to get to travel the country and help teachers in how to better reach, teach and confidently communicate with English learners and families. And so from that, I started to realize that although I knew a lot about you know, teaching and, and I love it and working with these kids and telling our story and giving people strategies about working with English learners, etc. I also didn't know about 
the other side of that, which is the way to reach people best and the way to let people know about the work we're doing and a little bit about the business side of life, right? As educators, I don't ever think like a business person, if that makes sense. And so there's this phenomenal group of people and um, I've met through the Teach Better Team Network and they're all what are called edupreneurs. And so it's a mastermind group. Uh, we meet once a week on Thursday nights under Jeff Gargis. And he and this probably about a dozen of us crew of people are all awesome educators who teach and, right? They teach and get the opportunity to go out and help other teachers around the country. And they're all different topics and all different levels of experience and, and all different um, avenues of the work they do. But the one thing that I love about it is that everyone is there to support each other. Everyone is there to learn and grow together and everyone is there to help each other. Like Teach Better says, just get a little better, right? So um, that is how I started to get involved with the Teach Better Network. Um, I also went to their conference for the first time uh, a few years ago, and it was a phenomenal experience. Um, they were some of the best networking and professional development sessions I'd ever attended from like-minded educators around the country who are all there for the right reasons. Amen. Uh, bravo, uh, Teach Better. Uh, thank you so much for existing. So the last question in the wisdom section of the show is, how do you address imposter syndrome? You know, that's a natural thing. I think that happens for all of us, professionally, personally, um, through various times throughout our, our, our life. And I think I remember something I read from John Maxwell in this book he has about communication. And he said two things. He said, always make sure that you speak about what you know, right? It, it's okay to have the ability and, and, the, and the want to go out there and help people with something you've lived, right? It's easy to speak about that. And the second people, piece he talked about was when he would go out to uh, present and even though he was like a ball of nerves, you know, what do I need to do this? Do I not need to do this? You know, et cetera. He would say to himself, I'm just here to help people. And, and that's how I treat that myself. I mean, I'm a teacher just like all of you. Um, I've been you know, given this opportunity to have another impact in the world and go out and help people understand our L's even better. And I'm just there to help people. And so when I have that imposter syndrome of, why do you do this, Andrea? Like you teach every day. You know, you didn't have to go out and write a book. You didn't have to go out and, you know, travel the country. It's like, yes, you do, because people are asking for help and you've been given the opportunity to give it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, this is something that, uh, as you said, we all struggle and it's great to hear how other people deal with this. So asking yourself, you know, I'm just here to help people. It's a great way to say and, and get rid of all that uh, anxiety. Uh, that may come uh, before we get to do our labor of love. Thank you so much, Andrea. So let's talk a little bit about productivity. As you know, productivity means different things for different people. When you think about that word, what does it mean to you? What does it look like? Well, I, I thought about a couple things. I think that for me, productivity is a couple of M's, as I say. It's meditate, move, mantra mom maestra and it's like okay every day you know have i meditated have i taken that time whether it's listening to a meditation or reading something in the morning or journaling for a few minutes 
to reset my mind for what I'm going to be taking on that day, good, bad, or ugly, right? Um, other than that, I think it's important to move. Like I get up every morning at 5.30. Um, there's this amazing teacher in our district that does a live workout for us. And so we have that opportunity. Shout out to Alyssa McGrath. Um, and wow. it's on the live Zoom. So you can take it from anywhere in the country. But, you know, she she is an athletic trainer herself who is also a third grade teacher and gets up three days a week and provides the opportunity for us to work out with her before school. And so we do I do that, you know, movement I've been um, reading as I get a little bit older um, is more and more important, you know, in terms of health. So making sure you move is, is good for you and for so many ways. Um, after, you know, that meditation moment and that movement, then it's like, okay, what's my mantra for today? Am I going to listen to a podcast on the way to school? Am I going to jam out to some great music just because I want to dance in the car? You know, how am I going to get myself, you know, amped up? Um, mom, right? All of us are, you know, most of us are parents, you know, being important family first, you know, we do have jobs that we love, but our family is equally important. So making those decisions on a balanced way, I think is important. In addition to that, I'm a, my answer, right? I'm a teacher. And so, you know, being focused at school on school, being focused at home on home and trying to find that separation is important. And then finally, I, you know, this isn't an M word, but rest. You have to really intentionally schedule yourself some time to rest. And that means shutting off the social media. That means you know, for me, sometimes it's just sitting and watching a mindless TV show on Netflix or taking a family trip or hanging out with my husband, right? What does that look like for you, but intentionally setting time to rest will rebalance the, the rest of your life, I feel. Beautiful. I, I love that. Uh, can, can you, meditation is such a, a, a great practice. Uh, we all do it in different ways. Can you share with us uh, uh, your favorite way uh, of meditating? Use an app, no, just silence, uh, use beats. Uh, what, what do you, what do you do? Uh, so there's two things. Um, I am a fan of uh, Bob Proctor. And so he is on YouTube and he does 10 minute meditations or 20 minute meditations. So I find those to be helpful in the morning. Um, so I, I'm a big fan and do a lot of Bob Proctor. I also go once a month um, to a local woman, Dr. Mary Claire Schultz, and she's here in Pennsylvania. And she does a little bit of everything. She does chiropractic care. She does Reiki healing. She does spiritual work. And um, I have found for me that it's extremely helpful. And so just between the meditation and the journaling, sometimes I'll write a little bit in the morning and the, and the daily visits with her, not daily, but monthly uh, visits with her uh, have been helpful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And I love uh, the moving, you uh, said or loosen, uh, getting in the mood. Uh, if you had to pick one, uh, one type of rhythm, that gets you in the best mood to have the kick-ass day, what would that be? Mm. I mean, it, it could go from anywhere. It could go from uh, Bon Jovi to um, mm. Biggie Smalls to Barbara Streisand. It just depends, you know? Like, I, I love all different kinds of music, but usually it's something upbeat. Um, usually it's something R&B, reggaeton. I love reggaeton. Um, just something that's kind of like fun, you know, to, to kind of dance to it. I love pink. I love Beyonce. I could go in a million ways, but just something yeah. fun, you know, whatever it is for you to get yourself, you know, dancing and singing in the car. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much for sharing. Uh, let's talk about that beautiful piece of work called a calendar behind you. 
-hmm. how do you get organized to make sure that you can do everything you want and still have a fructiferous life? Yes. So I am a little bit old school in terms of still writing things down. Um, I do that because for me, it's how I learn best. It's how I remember best. And so I bought this on Amazon, this massive wall calendar. It's a one-year calendar. It is big, so it needs a decent amount of space. But you can hang it up, and it's a whiteboard-based calendar. So it's got the markers that come with it and the erasers as well. And it allows me to plan out my year. Not only plan the engagements that I have, but the daily tasks for myself, remembering what my girls have. And in addition to that, um, the things that um, I want to set intentional rest time for. And so it's a way to block off, right, um, things that you have coming up. In addition to that, I have a daily calendar, and I'm going to grab it here because, as you can see, lots of things written in, right? And that's how I remember, you know, my daily tasks. In terms of scheduling with people around the country, I use Calendly, um, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. It is a free opportunity. I think there's a paid version as well, but I use the free opportunity that allows people to book times with me that comes onto my Google calendar. And that's something that's an app as well. So between the book, the wall and the digital components of the Google calendar and the Calendly, that's what keeps me going. Beautiful, I love it. I think that um, uh, if you don't get it in the calendar, it doesn't happen. Amen. Awesome. <laughs> uh, let me ask you uh, in terms when, in terms of productivity, what advice do you have for uh, those people that aspire to write a book, what would you do differently in terms of uh, discipline or organizing the ideas so they make sense from chapter to chapter? What, what advice do you have to share? I think you have to care about what you're writing. You know, it's easiest always for people to write what they know. And so when you and just just start writing, there's no special you know answer in someone's head there's no special process just start to get your words on paper i learned before that there are millions of people in the world who always say they would love to write a book and they should there are so many great stories out there that people need to hear because it helps them heal too or it helps them learn too but only one percent of people actually do it and so be, you know thinking about something you care about makes it easy um, the second piece is be consistent. When I was writing Take Me Home, it took me months and months and months, but I would write at night. That's what worked for me. You know, I would be up at night at eight o'clock sitting at my kitchen table downstairs with a notebook and a computer writing and typing and writing and typing and going back and editing. Um, the second piece to that is be patient. You have to have a lot of patience because things take time to come to fruition. I worked on Take Me Home for over two years before it actually became published from start to finish. And so just caring about what you write, putting yourself out there, getting it on paper, and being patient through the process would be helpful to help others. Great advice, thank you so much. <clears throat> do you have, uh, we don't need to know the title or anything, but do you have ideas on, on how to do a second book? I do. Um, it's something that I'm currently getting ready to work on. And I have some ideas about creating perspectives for people, not just from English language learners, but as educators, when we really look at the lineup of students that enter our classes each day, whether we rotate classes every hour, 45 minutes, or we have the same class all day, every student comes with a story. And I find that the perspectives sometimes are what educators really value most from their eyes. 
And so I'm looking forward to writing a book and possibly interviewing many more people from around the world who have had a vast amount of experiences from, for example, coming from a single parent family, coming from a family where maybe someone was drug or alcohol addicted, coming from a family where sports was valued, right? You have all these different pieces um, of, of work coming into your classrooms. And so I'm toying around with the idea of doing some more writing from that perspective. So stay tuned. It'll be another few years probably, but I'm working on it. Fantastic. Beautiful. And let me ask you, in terms of podcasting, uh, what lessons have you learned? What advice do you have for those who may be thinking that uh, they want to start their own podcast? Podcasting is, I think, one of the blessings in disguise that, you know, now that we have with technology, because it allows you to connect with and learn from educators or non-educators all over the world. I mean, think about with things like what we're on right now with StreamYard and Zoom and FaceTime and all these great platforms that we have. You know, educators often live in a bubble. We don't get the opportunity very often to step outside of our district. We only know the, the challenges, triumphs, and tribulations of the kids and teachers in our schools. And I'll tell you the most unexpected part of this podcasting journey is being a guest on one such as yours and beyond is that we're not all that different. All the challenges that come on in, you know, Philadelphia are also going on in California. And so what the difference is for me is the ability to talk about them, to learn from each other, and to reduce the feelings of loneliness and isolation because we're all in it together. And so for me, the podcasting experience has opened the doors to that learning and growth. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I my final question, Andrea. When Andrea takes off the hat of educator, speaker, consultant, podcaster, writer, author, mom, what do you do for fun? Um, I have my puppy, Leo, who I adore. He is a big golden retriever. He's 75 pounds, but he thinks he can still fit in your lap because um, when we got him, he's a little baby. Um, he was a COVID puppy. So I love to take him for walks. I love to take him outside and play. Um, I love to read. I'm a big reader. I enjoy reading books for fun. And I love to dance and hang out with my friends. I've got a great group of girls I've known for years. And, you know, just a, a quick trip with them is always it creates a lot of laughter. So just traveling, reading, dancing, seeing friends and family. Um, I come from a big Italian family. And so hanging out with my Nana, who's 96 um, and sharp as a tack. Um, it's also a really good time, too. Beautiful. Do you listen uh, to something as you walk or uh, do you just uh, listen to the environment? You know, I do both. Some days it is a quiet walk and I love to just kind of look around and listen to the birds and see the trees. And I'm in a place where seasons, right? We have all four seasons. Right now I'm looking at a, about half a foot of snow outside. Um, so it would be a good day for a quiet walk. And then other days, you know, I'm jamming. I'm walking down the street, listening to some fun music, or if I'm feeling like I want to learn, I've turned on one of those podcasts. Um, but no commitment to one certain thing, just depending on how I'm feeling that day. I like that. I like that, depending on the mood. Thank you, Andrea. That's been such a luxury having in the show. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun to get to talk today. Beautiful. I hope that you have a fantastic weekend. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Epaim Martinez. Chulu.
and have a stop production. Chill out.